you know, if you got to go out, you might as well be a tourist and in no man's land and step on a, a landmine. <laughs> yeah. If you're I gotta choose. <laughs> if I yeah, if I'm gonna die young, if I'm gonna choose how it's gonna be. How did he die? He stepped on a landmine in no uh, man's land. He died doing what he loved. I'm Steve Vinson. That's Paul Schultz. Hey, how you doing? And this is Softcore History. I'll start the tape. Hit it. Professor? Yes, dear? Will there be any extra credit? I am so glad you asked. This is Softcore History Season 1. And this is episode two, another brick in the wall. Since we're going backwards, and last uh, week ended at the end of the Soviet era, so we're going to end up there today, and we're going to go back to just after World War II, the period of time known as the Cold War. It's kind of personal, because Paul and I grew up during the Cold War, (laughs) you know? And we were just coming of age when the Soviet Union broke up. So last week ended when we were headed out of the nest, starting our adult lives. This week, half of the Cold War was our childhood. (laughs) And so I'll start out with a personal story. I left home for the first time in 1987. As far as I was concerned, the Cold War was at its height. Uh, I grew up saying the Pledge of Allegiance, cheering on the U.S. Olympic teams, Like everybody at that time, I was absolutely convinced that Soviet nuclear bombs were going to fall at any moment. I grew up hearing how the Soviet Union was evil and everyone in it was either doing the oppressing or being oppressed. So a week after graduating from high school, at the beginning of the summer of 87, I joined my classmates for a trip to West Germany, which at that time was officially known as the Federal Republic of Germany, or the Bundesrepublik Deutschland, or West Germany, is uh, how we most commonly knew it. And it wasn't just my first trip. (laughs) It was my first (laughs) time on an airplane, first time overseas, small town kid, uh, about to be a small fish in a very large pond. We landed in Frankfurt and boarded a train headed east, and it was just chaos. From the moment we got off the plane, we were going to be late for our train. We had to rush through the airport. The train station was kind of connected to the airport, so we I had never been on a subway before. So we kind of find our way to the subway to get to the main train station in Frankfurt, find our way. And by the way, we're carrying all of our luggage, too. (laughs) And my luggage was this old suitcase that my mom had from like the 1950s and you know no wheels or anything you know wheels on luggage was an innovation that i guess 1987 just hadn't caught up with yet (laughs) so i'm carrying this thing through the airports through the train station we get on a train and it was crowded it was chaotic and it was really tough to find a spot to sit so i have this tons of luggage i feel like adrift out of control so i just plopped down dropped my suitcase in the aisle way and just sat on the suitcase. I was like almost in tears. (laughs) It was like this for a few hours. 
some people would, you know, would stop at a station, some people would get on, some people would get off. But I just sat there alone, sort of balancing on the suitcase, trying not to cry. <laughs> 18-year-old Steve sitting there just like <laughs> completely out of his element. So as the train slowed down into one of the stations, my teacher was sort of making his way down the aisle, weaving in and out of traffic and sort of stumbling along, just speaking a combination of German and English, telling us to find our tickets, find your tickets, find your passports. And he was saying that to each familiar face or group of us American students. And he would say, remember what we talked about? Show them your tickets. Show them your passports. Answer their questions. Do what they tell you to do. In the chaos, I was only vaguely aware of what he was talking about. <laughs> but the train slows down and it stops. And the conductors who were on the train got off. Immediately, the train's boarded by serious men in serious-looking uniforms. And they weren't speaking English. Fire cotton, rise up us. They're barking orders. They're marching down the aisle. You know, I grew up watching Hogan's Heroes. And these guys, to <laughs> me, look like the gazpacho police. <laughs> I see what you did there. <laughs> as far as I, I was concerned, these guys were like, you know, Nazis. But clearly, these weren't Nazis. These were people that, who had beat the Nazis. They may have been Nazis. Who knows? They were German. They may have been Nazis at one time. But now they were East German border guards. And they get on the train, and they're just demanding tickets, passports. I stood up at one point, like, just get ready to do whatever. And one of the border guards just comes up to me and orders me to sit back down. So I plop back down in my suitcase. And I hold up my passport like a shield and my ticket out like a sword. Um, he just snatches my passport, looks it over, looks at me, asks where I was headed. <laughs> I just said, Berlin. And he said, uh, vote. I was like, that's Berlin. Uh, obviously, my voice is shaken. Uh, but he stamps my passport, punches my ticket, and hands it back to me and says, Sitzen da drüben. He points over to this compartment that was empty now. Somebody had gotten out. So I drag my suitcase and my compliant ass into the compartment and I sit <laughs> down. The border guard moved on down the aisle, barking orders to other frightened American kids. A couple of other kids join me in the compartment. A couple of my classmates and the train starts rolling again. And we trade a few stories about what just happened. <laughs> You know, the, probably the most interesting thing that ever happened to any of us at that point in our life. And we, we settled down and took kind of a tense silence. I was gazing out the window at the landscape and the town's going by. It was like I was watching a movie. Like The Wizard of Oz, you know, we all remember, started out in black and white and then switched to color at some point. Well, this was like the opposite. We had gone through West Germany and we had just now crossed into East Germany. It was like it had been in color and now it was like sepia tone. I found a passage by a travel writer from the 80s. Her name is Jan Morris. And uh, this quote like sums it up pretty well. Traveling from west to east through the inner German border was like entering a drab and disturbing dream, peopled by the ogres of totalitarianism, a half-lit world of shabby resentments, where anything could be done to you, I used to feel, without anybody ever hearing of it. And your every step was dogged by watchful eyes and mechanisms. Finally, we crossed into West Berlin, and the opposite happened. The train stops, the East German border guards get off, and some West German train conductors board. So we arrive at the station in West Berlin, finally, and we make our way to the hostel. We pass out, exhausted. The next day, we tour Berlin. You know, other than Chicago, West Berlin was the first time I'd been to a big city, and it was something. <laughs> it was more <laughs> metropolitan, more exciting, and obviously more historic than Chicago. Everything I'd ever heard about New York times 10, 
you know, bright lights, just hustle and bustle. It was really cool. It had been reduced to rubble after World War II. The Allies had bombed it into oblivion, but you couldn't tell it. Everything was new, shiny, beautiful, clean. Except one corner wall of a church had been preserved, like it had existed uh, at the end of the war. And I could see, like, bullet holes and pockmarks from explosions. It's a little jarring, but the way, like, that seeing a mummy in a museum is jarring. You know, you know it's something old and, and crazy, but, you know, the authorities had uh, preserved the area, some nice plants and flowers and some plaques, you know, stuff you could, that your dad would always stand there for half an hour to read every word on every plaque. That's what <laughs> I was doing. That's what you're supposed to do, hands behind my back. Oh, you know, oh, this is this is what happened here. Okay, that's like being in a museum, right? Eventually, after touring West Berlin for a while, we went to Checkpoint Charlie. Now, Checkpoint Charlie was the busiest and best-known entryway from West Berlin to East Berlin. And for those of you who are unaware, West Berlin was surrounded by a wall. And the idea was that at one time, the East was having trouble keeping their educated class from moving to the West because the Westerners were offering a lot more money than the East was offering. <laughs> They were experiencing sort of a brain drain. And so they started patrolling the border and, the, you know, the allies were actually the allies, you know, France, Great Britain, the United States were actually helping people get from the east to the west. And so eventually they decided to put up a wall to make it harder for people to do that. So to get from the West Berlin to East Berlin, you actually had to go through this checkpoint, these checkpoints. And the famous one was called Checkpoint Charlie. So we, as a class, go to Checkpoint Charlie. On the one side, there's American troops in there. I don't know. They look like World War II troops to me with their funny, <laughs> you know, they're, it looked like, you know, I used to play army men when I was a kid and they just look right out of the, you know, well, I mean, like my army men. <laughs> Back then it would have, they're probably still wearing the same uniforms. Right, right. Yeah, good point. So anyway, we go through this checkpoint. Part of what you have to do is exchange money. You have to exchange your West German marks. You had to exchange those for East German marks. And we crossed over into East Berlin. We had to show our passport, got the stamp. Of course, they asked questions. and We were scared shitless again. <laughs> and um, we crossed into the East. Once again, though, it was like the opposite of the Wizard of Oz. You go from the most metropolitan modern city I'd ever seen or experienced into they didn't have to do the plaques and the preservation and all that. There were a lot of buildings that were just not rebuilt yet. Mm. Almost every building had bullet holes in the side of it, you know, just caved in type buildings and stuff like that. And very drab. You know, it becomes like something we get used to when we go into a city or go into a busy area, but advertisements, signs, you know, whether it's McDonald's or the Gap or Macy's or uh, Budweiser or Coca-Cola, it's like plastered everywhere at every store. It's advertising, try to get you in there to buy stuff, right? Absolutely none of that. Nothing. Because, you know, in that economic system, it's not competition. It's like, well, if if everybody needs shoes, you don't need a whole bunch of shoe stores. You just need a shoe store. You don't <laughs> need three shoe stores competing against each other. You just need a shoe store. Why do you need lots of advertising to get people to drink your beer when it's just beer? It's all generic at that point. Like, it's all Aldi. Wonder, wonder where where did all these come from again? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Sure. So we go to a restaurant, you know, and the teacher, you know, ever the good propagandist tells us not to expect super good service because they're not, you know, tips are illegal. 
and they just get paid what they get paid, whether they do good service or not good service or whatever. And so don't expect them to be super polite. So we sit down, we get ice cream, we get, you know, coffee, we get beers, we get whatever. I don't know. The service was whatever it was. I don't remember it being rude or not rude or whatever. It just, I remember just sitting there being like, wow, we are in East Berlin. <laughs> um, we toured around, saw a few of the sites and then went back through Checkpoint Charlie and went back. So we spent the rest of the time in West Germany with families and doing activities and, you know, seeing history, that kind of thing. And that was that. That was 1987. Obviously, height of the Cold War. Mr. Gorbachev teared down this wall. So then I go to college <laughs> and is... People will remember lots happens between 1987 and 1990. There are some reforms that Mikhail Gorbachev wants to make. There are some thoughts that maybe opening up the economies a little bit more and being a little bit more market-based might be good. The Germans were wanting a little bit more freedom. What ends up happening is, you know, country after country starts uh, opening up their elections, opening up their economy. And one by one, these countries, you know, Poland and East Germany start to open up and the wall actually comes down first, not on purpose. And then eventually just a whole bunch of people gather at the wall, just start crossing back and forth. There was a lot of tension, actually, because it, somebody had said something in a press conference, like some official, but they misspoke. The way they worded it, make it made it sound like they were not going to enforce border restrictions. So a whole bunch of people that were living in East Germany were like, oh, well, we can go to West Germany now. <laughs> and they get to the border and it's like, oh, no, no, no. <laughs> you know, suddenly it was really tense for a while. Uh, but then the cat was out of the bag by that time. And enough people start showing up. Eventually, people start tearing down sections of the wall. And then there's just nothing for it. The East Germans finally say, fine, we're going to take the wall down. And they start dismantling the wall. But it was pretty chaotic there for a while. It wasn't mm -hmm. like an organized, okay, next Tuesday, we, everybody can start going back and then we're going to take the wall down. It's going to be an organized thing, right? Yeah. So by 1990, there was free movement across the, the border. I did an internship, a uh, college internship, the summer of 1990, the summer after my junior year. While I was there, of course, I had to visit Berlin. And I was there with this other guy who really didn't want to go, but I was like, I am not going to Berlin, but I will go to Berlin by myself, but don't make me go to Berlin by myself. <laughs> Come on. We we're traveling together and, and we had one at one point we were in this, this uh, city called Dresden, which is where my high school German teacher's wife was from. And I was like, oh, I just want to walk around the city a little bit. And we've got like a one hour layover. So I'm just going to get off the train. I'm going to go do that. He's like, don't get off this train. I was like, why not? I'll be back. I'll get back in time. It'll be fine. And I, I can, <laughs> so I get off and get lost. <laughs> and I was like, well, crap. East Germany was still a separate country. So you had to, you had to take a train to the border town with East Germany. And then you had to switch trains and you had to have another ticket. Well, I had left the other ticket. But I still had the one ticket that would get me to the border, but I didn't have the ticket to get from the border over to Berlin. <laughs> so, of course, I'm like lost and just didn't even know. I was just like, oh, crap. Now what am I going to do? Meanwhile, he was like 
he was freaking out because he didn't want to go in the first place, <laughs> let alone go by himself, right? But of course, ever the resourceful one. Long story even longer, I was able to get a train to get me into uh, East Germany and over to Berlin, met up with my friend. Everything was great. But <laughs> what was not great is I had forgotten because I told him I, I kind of knew where I was going because I've been there before. <laughs> like, all we got to do is go to the main train station and then we'll get off there. We'll go to the hostel and uh, we'll explore from there. And he's like, well, I'm really worried about going into East Germany. And I was like, don't worry about it. We can plan that out once we get there. What I had forgotten is when there was West Berlin and East Berlin, the train station called the main train station was in East Berlin and Hauptbahnhof was in East Berlin. And so the main train station of West Berlin was not called Hauptbahnhof. It was called something else. I even forget Friedrichstrasse or something like that. Totally mistakenly, we get off the train in East Berlin without ever getting out in West Berlin and crossing through any checkpoints or anything. And we get off the train we step off. It's the same grayness <laughs> that I had remembered. The buildings were still not in great shape, but off in the distance, I see something that gives me hope. <laughs> and it is a colorful banner for a West German brand of beer called Bitburger. <laughs> and it was an advertisement. And next ah. to that advertisement <laughs> was another advertisement for Paulaner pills. And I was like, there's competition and there's advertising <laughs> this place is going to be okay <laughs> didn't take long for the marketing mushrooms yeah. to pop up <laughs> exactly we did end up finding our way back to west berlin where where our hostel was and we went to checkpoint charlie they weren't checkpointing anything he's more checkpoint chuck at that point <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> there were a couple of soldiers there and I was like, well, what are the soldiers for? They were actors. They were just like, oh. um, <laughs> they were German guys dressed up in American uniforms. And like, there was a little plaque there that just explained how Checkpoint Charlie was this big deal back in the day. I was like, this is weird. So we keep walking and the wall's not completely torn down yet. And I remember from the news, like people were just going up there and just grabbing yeah. pieces of the wall and stuff. Right. Yeah. So PJ was his name. PJ and I just walk over and we're like in between in the no man's land where they used to shoot you if you yeah, were there back crazy. in the day, right? PJ and I just walk over. We're in the we're in the I'm like, could there be landmines? I always heard there were landmines. Are we gonna step on a landmine? <laughs> this is how I die. Is this how I die? So we we're like, I'm like, we gotta get a piece of the wall. And he's like, we shouldn't. I was like, no, we definitely have to get a piece of the wall. I'm not, we're here now. This is we're getting a piece of the wall, dude. We did. We find this like piece of rebar and just start hacking at the wall. I took pictures of him. Mm -hmm. He took pictures of me. We brought him back. We brought pieces of the wall back. It was pretty crazy. So this is a podcast about Russian history. And I just spent most of this week's episode talking about Germany, right? <laughs> what does that got to do with anything about Russia? The reason I wanted to tell that story, and, and we're going to have to kind of mix things up a little bit here, since that went that went way longer than I expected. But once you get me talking about my trip to Berlin, it's hard to get me to stop. I've, I've heard it a lot, but I still like to hear it. <laughs> <laughs> the reason uh, I felt it was important, well, a couple of things. As I pointed out in the beginning, it's kind of personal to us. We grew up during the Cold War. A lot mm -hmm. of our listeners grew up during the Cold War. This is one of those things, I'm not even sure if I realized it at the time. Um, I mean, I did when I was standing there in no man's land between the two walls. But most of our childhood, I wasn't sitting there like, oh, this is this will be history someday. The reason Germany plays such a central role in Russian history is it really was ground zero for the Cold War. 
-hmm. And a lot of what happened with Germany, uh, one of the reasons the Soviet Union and the United States developed this huge rivalry is because of the war that Germany started <laughs> in Japan. Germany and Japan start this war. The Soviet Union and the United States end up being the two great powers at the end of that. China wasn't quite what it is today. No. Uh, at that point. <laughs> no. But, you know, you could go back in the Bronze Age, the great empires of the Bronze Age, the Assyrians and the, the Hittites, all those great empires in the Mesopotamian region, right? Could have told you what was likely to happen if you had gotten a time machine and gone back and said, "Hey, I want I'm going to describe to you World War II, and then you tell me what you think will happen next." They could have predicted <laughs> four or five thousand years ago. They would have said, "Oh, well, are there two great powers at the end of it?" Yes. Oh, they're going to go to war next. <laughs> and you'll go, no, 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 you don't understand. They were allies during the war that ends. And then they'll go, yes, but they're two separate powers, right? And yeah, oh, they're going to go to war. And the only thing that kept them from actual, like, hot war directly with each other was nuclear weapons. Mm -hmm. But the reason Germany is so important is because it was the division of Germany that really kicked off the whole Cold War thing. Mm -hmm. And there's nothing to me that illustrates the difference between East and West, like right, right there at ground zero, West Germany, East Germany, West Berlin, East Berlin. You've played Risk, right? Yeah, a couple of times. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. You ever form an alliance in, in Risk with a fellow player? No, I never got that sophisticated. Yeah, the, the Mesopotamians knew how Risk was going to end because, yeah, you end up going to war with each other. The other <laughs> thing I was thinking was, yeah, if you got to go out, you might as well be a tourist and in no man's land, step on a, a landmine. <laughs> yeah. If you got to choose, <laughs> if I yeah, if I want to die young, I'm going to choose how it's going to be. How did he die? He stepped on a landmine in no man's uh, land. Yeah, <laughs> he died doing what he loved. But you know, at the end of World War II, uh, the Soviet Union's in ruins, Germany's in ruins, all of Eastern Europe is in ruins. Uh, Western Europe, you know, no, Germany obviously. It's not doing too well, <laughs> Germany and Austria. But then, you know, you get into France, they weren't in ruins, and Great Britain wasn't in ruins. And obviously, the United States came out of it pretty well. But what, what ends up happening is the United States pour, pours tons of money into Western Europe while the Soviet Union's busy rebuilding itself. <laughs> and these Eastern countries aren't doing too well because the U.S. isn't pouring a bunch of money in them because they're occupied by Soviet troops. Why are we going to help, right? So you can already see that the great powers are going to be facing off. <laughs> and sure enough, the wackiness ensues. And we'll go through some of the key moments uh, next week. But the story of it really is this game of risk. <laughs> and we'll get into it next week. <laughs> All right, I'll stop the tape. <laughs> been listening to Softcore History, written and produced by Steve Vincent and Paul Schultz for Big Broccoli Studios. For more podcasts from Big Broccoli Studios, visit BigBroccoliStudios.com or look wherever you go to for your podcasts or look for wherever you listen to the Don't Panic Radio Show. Thanks for listening. I want to get a, an actual VHS tape so I can be like, <laughs> I put it in. I just yes. got to go to Goodwill and get one. 
I probably have one around here somewhere. <laughs> it used to belong to Andy. <laughs> <laughs> that would be sweet. <laughs>